Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency innovators actively building, growing, and investing in this emerging technology. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts quarterly conferences and monthly events live recorded for this podcast. Our current chapters are located in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, San Francisco, Austin, San Antonio, and Dallas. Our upcoming conferences will be TF5 in Seattle on March 19, 2020, and TF6 in Austin on June 4, 2020. To get involved with TF Blockchain, participate in future TF conferences, attend a chapter in your area, or to start a new chapter, please visit tfblock.io. Hey, I want to share a special promo with you from our friends over at CoinMine so you can get your very own CoinMine 1 and mine cryptocurrency from your house in the simplest way possible. I have one, I love it, and I want to make sure you can get one too. So visit coinmine.com slash tfblock and use discount code tfblock to get $50 off. This episode is a special live recording from TF4, our most recent sold-out TF blockchain conference held on November 14, 2019 in Seattle at the Triple Door. In this episode, our panelists discuss cryptocurrency mining at any scale, and you'll hear from Christy Lee Minahan, Farbud Nivy of CoinMine, Steve Adams of CoinStar, Raymond Walentukin of Bitmain, and Mitchell Moos of Crypto Briefing. Mining is the backbone of blockchain and cryptocurrency, and this conversation between our panelists does a great job of explaining its importance and clearing up the confusion. This is an episode you'll want to listen to again and share with your network. I want to give a huge thank you to our media sponsor, Stably, for handling the audio and video for TF4. Stably is an asset-backed stablecoin on the blockchain. It's faster, cheaper, secured, and borderless. You can learn more about Stably at stably.io. All right. So up next, uh, we're going to have a really interesting panel about cryptocurrency uh, and mining at every scale. Uh, I have to admit, I'm incredibly jealous that I don't get to um, moderate this panel, but I'm really excited for Mitchell Moose because I think he's going to do an excellent job, probably better than I would do. So everybody come on up and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. So Steve's going to come back again, Barbood, Christy again, uh, and uh, Mitchell and Raymond. Give him a round of applause. And then, um, to help prevent the feedback, try to make sure that you put the mic as close to your mouth, inside your mouth. Eat, eat the microphone. All right, and action. I'm just trying to moderate here. All right, well, I, according to the instructions, I'm supposed to let everyone introduce themselves first, so why don't we start over here? Um, I'm Raymond Wallentukin. I'm the Director of Mining Operations for North America with Bitmain. Uh, Farbu Didi, uh, CEO, co-founder of CoinMine. Mitchell Moose, Managing Editor at Crypto Briefing. Christy Lee Minahan, uh, Troublemaker. <laughs> and I'm still Steve Adams. <laughs> All right, so let's start us off with a, a fairly easy question here. Like, proof of work mining, what's the value? Why are you doing this expensive process that uses as much electricity as Morocco and makes all these emissions that people tend to criticize. Like, what's the point? Uh, I love talking about this stuff. Maybe I'll throw some, some uh, wacky philosophical things out there. So, uh, you know, people like to equate uh, Bitcoin to gold quite a bit. Um, I actually think uh, gold is also proof of work. 
so to get gold, uh, crazy things have to happen. Uh, first, the, the star has to be born, it has to burn for billions of years, uh, and it has to explode into a supernova. Um, then that actually has to happen twice. Another star also has to be born, burn for billions of years, explode into a supernova, and both of these stars have to leave neutron stars in their wake. Then those two neutron stars have to somehow collide into each other in the vastness of space. Um, and then only then do you get gold. Uh, so gold is universally rare. Uh, all over the universe, gold is rare. There's actually, I think, a comic book series, series sort of dedicated to this concept that aliens are going all over the universe trying to get gold because it's so rare. Uh, so the amount of work that has to go into creating gold um, is, is unbelievable, and that's part of the value that it has. And so uh, the amount of work and energy that has to go into creating uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, is, is part of the value that it has. It, it, it's not something that you can replicate easily without an additional amount of work. So um, it, really, it really ties into the, uh, into the whole philosophy and the physics of it. I feel like I have strong opinions about this. I, I do. Um, so I, I talk a lot about how uh, mining is the gateway drug to cryptocurrency engagement. For a lot of the people that have gotten into cryptocurrencies that have been champions or early investors, Bitcoin mining was their gateway drug. Um, and the beauty about when Bitcoin was first released, you didn't really need an expensive machine to get involved. You know, you could just jump in with your laptop and you didn't have to worry about expending your hard-earned fiat um, to dabble in this new crazy technology. That's one of the reasons that mining is such a fantastic engagement mechanism. There's nothing else like it. And as Bitcoin has become more and more valuable, um, and we've got more and more users, it's become specialized. You know, a lot of people um, have started massive facilities just dedicated to securing this new financial ecosystem. I mean, that does transition that nicely into my next question, is that now that it's not accessible, is that removing a, an important part of what Proof of Stake was originally set up to, to do? And I think Raymond over here, who runs massive facilities of specialized hardware, might have some insight into that. Well, I mean, let's uh, kind of demystify some of the, um, uh, the numbers out there. I mean, originally, it, there are numbers out there that mass amount of uh, terror hashes are located in China, and that is correct. Uh, but it's not controlled by one entity. I mean, it is quite fragmented. Um, all over the market. So, in a sense that, you know, going back to your proof of stake, proof of work uh, issue right now, so proof of stake is probably better up for the long term, uh, but proof of work uh, was, you know, as Christy mentioned, that's exactly how we started. You know, so. Can you clarify quickly what you mean by proof of work and proof of stake for people who may not be in the know? Um, like, well, I haven't actually implemented this as, as, a, as a program, so Christy is a lot more uh, versed in this, but from my understanding that um, proof of stake is you have to put um, the, the, your stake on there as a way to securitize uh, what has was, what was been voted on. Uh, whereas proof of work, um, you know, it's, it's massive acuity power, it's more inefficient. Proof of stake uh, uses less power, but it becomes more expensive to take over uh, that network. Why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> um, one of the, the trade-offs with proof-of-stake is that your threat profile changes. So in proof-of-work, you, um, you have this physical hardware that you have to deploy, um, and you have to spend you know, a CapEx investment, as well as an OpEx investment, some sort of um, electricity expenditure. 
Um, this is where proof of work becomes very invaluable when you don't want to game the system. In proof of stake, your profile completely changes. It's all digital based. So now you open yourself up to a lot of the vulnerabilities that exist in traditional security systems. All I have to do is figure out how to gain access to someone's keys. And as you know, a lot of, a lot of the security industry teaches us, that's pretty easy. Uh, all I have to do is some social engineering. And once I control the keys for a staker, I control the node and I control the um, space. Proof of stake doesn't have this you know, capex and opex expenditure, which does actually harm a lot of the, um, uh, not transparency, but a lot of the immutability for the ledger. You know, there are things that um, are currently in research to prevent this, stuff like VDF ASICs, where you do have some hardware costs and all participants are gonna solve the same puzzle at the same time, but you know, right now we know proof of work works. Proof of stake hasn't been rolled out at any sort of scale, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays in Ethereum's ecosystem. And I think the, the whole story sums back up to controls and incentives. How do we drive enough activity to secure this new platform for commerce? How do we reward and incent the people to provide that capability? And then how do we secure what they put in place to be sure that people don't abuse and take advantage of it? And so it, each one of them is going to have their own pros and cons, but the most important thing is sufficient controls and incentives in place to enable the, com the targeted commerce platform at the scale and life cycle we're aiming for. If we're really talking about replacing gold, then I need something that can stand up to between five and 10,000 years of innovation. That's the reason why this is such a complex story. How do I incent the human race over the next 100 generations to be sure that the thing we're doing today is still a valid method of commerce in the future? So I heard this get brought up a few times, that some of the large majority of the hash rate is centralized into China. So is mining doing what it's supposed to be doing in terms of decentralizing that risk across a lot of parties? And is mining the best mechanism to do that? And especially as we start developing more specialized hardware in terms of ASICs, companies like Bitmain and Canon start to control all the supply chain. So is that a problem in terms of decentralization or is that something that uh, the fears are overblown for that? I mean, it's a problem, but where um, the community is taking steps to fix it. So back in the day, you know, Satoshi had this great idea that um, people wouldn't collude. It would be one uh, CPU per one vote. Unfortunately, humans do collude. Um, and this is why pools started. You know, pools were a great way where you could pool your computing power together and um, share in the block reward instead of having to win the lottery. It was meant to be a lottery-based system. Um, when we, we leave a lot of the uh, block, um, you know, a lot of the transactions in the blocks to pools, it becomes a little bit centralized. So there's some protocols right now that are, um, have been proposed, one by Brains, uh, who created the original Bitcoin mining pool. Um, they call it Stratum V2. The other one is called Better Hash by um, uh, Matt Corello, and it's actually put into place um, at Blockstream right now with their mining pool and their internal services. And both of these require the end user to run a node in order to mine Bitcoin. And that's gonna help a lot with the decentralization process because at that point, um, you're not relying on the pool as much. That really is the weak point, relying on the pool to craft your blocks and your work for you. Yeah, I think the important thing to remember is how early we are in mm -hmm. all of this. I mean, yeah, perhaps there's flashes of over-centralization. The, the, the ecosystem is going to react to that. Satoshi came up with an idea that we wanted to start this experiment from 
but I, I don't think we get to an end in the next 10 years as far as what really the right long-term scale is going to be. So we, we need to be flexible. We need to be in it for the long term. And again, we need to be watching how the incentives are going to play out over the longer period of time. If we have the wrong incentives, if we have the wrong controls, then we run the risk of the entire experiment failing. You know, I think it's a challenge to uh, evaluate Bitcoin or any other thing in cryptocurrency from a snapshot in time that you happen to be in. Uh, like, like everyone's been saying, it's, uh, it's early, uh, things are changing, there's uh, lots of uh, proposed changes to uh, make improvements on the things that aren't working well, improve the things that are working well. Uh, so I think if you look at things over the context of time, uh, you got to think about it that way more than like, if we just took a snapshot today, is there too much mining here? Uh, you know, most of the validating, my understanding, is not in uh, Asia, for example. Most of the validating of Bitcoin is in North America and, and the United States. A lot of the mining is there. Uh, just don't look at things in a, in a snapshot and, and, and try and understand the, the trend over time. Well, I mean, <laughs> as, I know, as the, the manufacturer for ASIC mining machines, um, it, it is beneficial for Bitmain to have, uh, you know, into, it originally it was started as a bunch of hobbyists who you know, created Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin mining machines uh, on their own computers. And then just like any other industry, uh, once the hobbyists are done you know, providing the, 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 founder, uh, the, the framework and, and the, the groundwork on it, um, then it becomes commercialized, right? So typically you, you expect some sort of company to come in and, and, and make it more efficient uh, to mine, and, and then you know, as we're now seeing with coin mine, uh, now it's coming back to you know consumers in a sense. It's like they have another chance. So I think the market is shifting and uh, adjusting for itself. Um, you know, in these aspects, absolutely. So Stephen mentioned earlier that Bitcoin needs to last 100 generations for it to be comparable to gold, or if that's the niche that's trying to fulfill that, it needs to be salient, needs to be durable. So one of the long-term issues in, in the Bitcoin mining space is to happen. And as that having continually happens, will uh, Bitcoin mining revenues historically have continued to decrease and now over the long term it's supposed to depend on fees. Do any of you, like especially from Bitcoin main perspective, from your perspective, Christy, do you find that concerning or do you think that Bitcoin will still remain secure if it remains solely on fees versus block rewards? And the block reward is every block, some new Bitcoins are minted, but that amount is decreasing every four years, it's happening every four years. So one of the things you see a lot in the enterprise mining market is um, people that are getting into Bitcoin mining are getting into it not for you know the profit they're going to make. They're getting into it because either they're issuing coins or they have you know other business verticals that need the coins or because they want to secure and they believe in the technology. Fidelity is a great example of this. They have mined at a loss in some of their um, facilities and they don't really care about that. You know, they figure they're doing their job securing the network. Um, I do think Bitcoin needs to uh, have an application for its transaction fees. Right now the block subsidy is going to, um, the decreasing block subsidy is going to mean that you know, your average Joe or your average home miner or some of these little um, businesses that get into it because they're passionate about the technology will uh, shift off and go into another currency or they will go towards the profit. And then you're only going to have five or six, you know, really, really big players securing your financial system. And then we're back to the traditional banking system. Well, I mean, as Christy mentioned earlier, um, I mean, it, an infrastructure play is, uh, you know, it, there was quite a bit of consolidation that happened uh, you know, in the 
early 2018, um, and probably more so as, as time progresses. Um, but it is an infrastructure play. So at the moment, yes, I mean, a lot of these facilities are used for Bitcoin mining, crypto mining, but um, I mean, Bitmain, for example, is gearing up for an artificial intelligence push or some application um, in the crypto space that uses quite a bit of electricity. So, uh, right, I mean, it's going to be changing here and there uh, as time goes forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a race. The utility needs to keep up with the costs. The rewards need to keep up with the costs. Um, the concept of being able to uh, bid on a service at that microtransaction level, though, I think could be the great unlock. If you can take something like, if you want to complete this transaction, that costs you three cents, that costs you four cents, and give that, distribute that out broadly to the masses, like the Lightning Network attests that it is able to do, then maybe you have some sort of uh, adoption play that gives you that utility that Bitcoin needs to continuously both incent people to participate as well as keep the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, drive people towards integrating it into their own commerce flows, entering, uh, integrating it into their own stores of value. So it really is a, can the rest of the ecosystem, can the rest of the economic model catch up before that pretty, pretty intense and pretty, uh, pretty blunt um, incentive mechanism ages out. I believe the answer is yes, but it's really up to the innovators in the blockchain and e-commerce space to do so. You know, the question is, A, when, when does that happen? Is it five years, 10 years, 20, 50 years? Uh, I don't think anybody would think that we'd be sitting here talking about Bitcoin being worth eight or $9,000 five, six years ago. Uh, so if you, you know, at Bitcoin a million dollars, will people be mining Bitcoin? Probably. Uh, at Bitcoin $10 million, will people be mining Bitcoin? Probably, even though the block reward is half a Bitcoin. If it's worth $10 million, there'll be people you know, who have the energy. Um, the, other thing, the other way I think about it, you know, some of the inputs of the costs of making this profitable are electricity. Um, we continually get better at getting electricity from renewable resources. I think Bitcoin and crypto actually drive and accelerate uh, renewable energy production. So uh, if energy prices go down, if the value of Bitcoin becomes astronomical, um, I think, you know, the sort of uh, will it be profitable to mine Bitcoin may be an interesting question, maybe in decades. So I, thought, I don't think it's something the average person needs to worry about over the next few years. So let's talk about energy. One of the big criticisms for Bitcoin mining is that it's quote-unquote wasteful. So is, for example, proof of stake a reasonable alternative to, to proof of work mining? Like I said, I think proof of work drives renewable energy production. Uh, it takes a lot of energy, but uh, it improves the economics of renewable energy businesses. So theoretically, that should make them more um, you know, lucrative and better businesses to be in. I'm worried about the security around proof of stake. Um, yeah. putting, putting my asset out into the public in order for me to operationalize the network is, is a difficult story for me to, for me to swallow. Um, take a look at how much energy and effort the existing payment ecosystem costs us. Uh, I don't think it's really, when you consider that investment today and that OPEX today, I don't think the Bitcoin network is that expensive. And a short plug for Bitmain. I mean, basically choose locations that tend to have hydropower or some sort of renewable energy because of the stability and the cheap uh, cheapness of that power. 
Um, so that's, that's one thing that we, we typically do. But the also other issue is even if they do generate this power, this power is very expensive to transport to somewhere else. So if it's not consumed on site, I mean, a lot of that is wasted. So um, in a sense, we're also you know, generating income in areas, uh, you know, jobs and whatnot uh, that you know, typically don't have a lot of uh, job generation or uh, the economics of it doesn't make sense for, you know, well, it makes sense for Bitmain to work there, but uh, in terms of uh, the economy there definitely does get affected in, in a positive way. Why are you looking at me again? <laughs> You know I have very strong opinions on this topic. Um, look, Bitcoin today consumes 6.3 gigawatts worth of energy. Uh, in the US alone, there's, what, almost 10, uh, 10 or 11 gigawatts currently underutilized. Um, in China, there's a lot more. The US banking system consumes, uh, I think um, Cambridge uh, Blockchain did an analysis on it, and it consumes almost 70% um, more uh, than that today. With proof-of-work systems, you need to ensure that you're spending some sort of energy, and then if you want to go and reverse the transaction or be a malicious actor, you have to um, spend double that, roughly. Um, this is why there's that energy expenditure component with Bitcoin mining. It helps secure the technology. Um, you know, you have to expend something um, in order to prove you're an honest actor. This is why, you know, animals uh, have actions that cause them, like a dog wagging its tail. It costs a lot of, you know, very valuable um, calories for an animal in the wild. But you know their intentions there um, are to be true, that they're an honest actor. This is the same principle that makes up proof of work mining. When you take away that energy expenditure, you have um, very little risk to being a malicious actor. You can now go and game the system entirely with very little um, effort expended. So. Yeah, I think Bitcoin's energy expenditure right now is very important for the security of the network. You take that away, and it's going to cause all sorts of chaos. Very unfun chaos. All right, with that, let's open it up to questions. We got one. Um, when you talk about renewable energies, uh, can you speak about folks like maybe uh, that are using solar energy to mine? I know a company like Pluton Mining has gone out and they've actually purchased property in, in Southern California, out in the desert, they own the property, the infrastructure, et cetera. Uh, could you at least address that or stuff like that? We have a lot of customers that mine that have solar at home and they buy several coin mines and they have excess energy during the day and they, they put that towards mining. The same. I've seen quite a few companies in the U.S. Um, that have actually teamed up with hardware manufacturers or container providers. You know, they have a lot of uh, solar or wind energy that otherwise would just get wasted if it's not consumed. So it's stored and put towards Bitcoin mining. Fantastic use of energy that otherwise just burns. It also plays well in the overall power ecosystem uh, in uh, in the Wenatchee area and all of the hydropower there, having that base load on the dams so that you've got effectively a reserve that you can manage without having to spin up and tear down uh, the, the turbines themselves makes it easier and more efficient to, op uh, to operate the entire regional grid. Having this kind of predictable, clean load is actually a net win for some of those renewable energy providers and helps make the overall ecosystem stronger. Yeah, and you know, Bitmain is in talks with um, solar power um, partners who are also looking to do this as well. So it, it's definitely happening. Well, you guys 
if we're not going to have any other questions here. Um, you guys bring up a good question. Is mining a good way to help with grid management, power management, in terms of load balancing and, and other things like that? Like you, you brought up a few examples, but is that one potential future use of Bitcoin mining? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem with some of these big power installations is that once you've got it on, it's kind of on, and the energy is, to your point, effectively wasted. So here's a way to monetize that power that effectively needs to be on standby. It's a way to continuously exercise the, the infrastructure so you don't have uh, turn up and turn down costs. It gives you an ability to respond to spikes in demand. Tell the Bitcoin miner, you gotta just slow your roll on those 10, those 10 miners for a half an hour, everybody just got home. Um, it becomes a, a super clean way for them to, again, operate the regional grid while incenting, uh, incenting people to secure a commerce platform. You literally win on both sides of the conversation. And it allows you to do the localization that you were mentioning, where you know what, you put, put a thousand miners next to, a dom, next to a dam, and then you literally have a consume for economic profit or release for the public good, depending on what's happening in the, in, in the local region. It's a pretty clean solution. Yeah, Steve's exactly right. I mean, uh, several of our mining farms, um, we might have the uh, uh, requirement that we have to shut down during peak times or power needs to be redistributed. And we generally always comply because that is uh, the requirement so other people can get, the, uh, get their energy. And that does maximize the profit of the utility company. So it's good for the city. All right, let's hear it. So, one of the things I find interesting about my, I'm, I sound like God all of a sudden, sorry about that. Um, so one of the things I found all of a sudden is our, the lack of education when it comes to mining, right? And it's it's very important piece of this space, but you know, I'd venture to say most people in this room don't understand how that works, um, as well as say you folks, of course, because you work in it. Um, how do we get, how do the, those of us in the room who want to understand more about it, how can we educate ourselves uh, to start getting to a fraction of the level where you're at. We're all going to look at you again. <laughs> Get involved in mining. Um, if you have a bit of excess capital, um, you know, uh, you can get a really great uh, miner from Bit, uh, Bitmain now for about $1,600. Grab one, throw it in a co-location uh, co facility, and just start playing around and experimenting if you, if you want to get more involved in Bitcoin. Otherwise, go and talk to an expert that works in the industry. Don't read any of the articles out there because I can promise you they're all wrong. Um, you know, Coindesk has an educational tutorial on how Bitcoin mining works. And I spent so much of my time at Core Scientific having to re-educate folks because all of that information is wrong. It's all based on, you know, the white paper and other publicly available material. Right now, a lot of mining takes place in silos, and a lot of the education around mining takes place in silos. The same as investment in cryptocurrencies, and the same as um, you know, application development in cryptocurrencies. Um, if you work in mining today, do your job and start educating other people as well. Write about it. Uh, help dispel some of these myths. Same thing if you're in application or uh, investment. We need to break down these silos, and that's the only way we will get better educated. I suppose that's a great question to, to end with. Um, how can you get more involved in Bitcoin? And one way of doing that is exploring the mining side of things. And that's how a lot of people got into Ethereum, for example. So get your hands dirty. Excellent. 
Thank you so much, everybody. Cheers. Give a big round of applause. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. Please help us continue to spread blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto awareness by sharing this podcast, attending our events, following us on social, and rating and reviewing this podcast by clicking all the stars on our homepage so we can be more accessible across Apple, Spotify, and all podcast platforms. Thank you for your support. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep building. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the positions or opinions of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.